G'day and welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. This is episode 870. Guys, it's a repeat episode. It's my interview with Cy Wakeman and we discuss her book, No Ego. It's a cracker. I loved it. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Hey guys, have you ever thought about your ego, the ego that gets in the way, the ego that's the enemy? Thank you, Ryan Holiday. Great book, by the way. Uh, I love the conversation about ego. And I know we are all driven to some levels by our ego, and I think it can be a real killer. Uh, Ryan Holiday's book was a a great read and really mind-opening around the ego. But I love this interview with Cy Wakeman. She is a leadership expert. She's a business consultant and international keynote speaker, and she helps people with how to approach leadership. And that's what this book is about, No Eagle, in regards to the leadership of organizations and cultures, etc. But what I found really uh, enjoyable about our conversation is that how we discuss ego and how that uh, relates to leadership in organizations and in companies, it also relates a lot to our personal lives, the leadership of our personal lives and the ego that gets in the way there. It's a fantastic, insightful interview. She's also written a book called No Ego. I absolutely love that book. I had uh, left a review online as well. You can check it out at thehiddenwhy.com. I'll actually stick the links for our original interview and the book review in the show notes for this episode 870. Guys, check it out. It's a good interview. Let me know what you think as well. You can connect um, on Facebook or at thehiddenwhy.com. My book, The Ultimate Life Map, is coming to completion and it'll be released soon. So keep your eye out for that one, guys. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Hi, Si. How are you going? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's great to have you here. I uh, am looking forward to speaking about what you do, your work, uh, and particularly your new book uh, called No Ego. So where do we start? Si, whereabouts are you located? You know, a lot of times people are intrigued by the title and the fact that I'm a drama researcher. It's just an unusual field. People haven't really heard about it. But I researched the amount of drama in the workplace, how much time we waste in unproductive behavior or thought processes. Yeah. I don't think in the workplace as well, but in our lives as well, hey? Exactly. Exactly. It's astronomical. It's about two and a half hours a day per person just at work. In the workplace. What about as it relates to our lives? I mean, how much drama are we actually involved in? Do we do we realize it? Obviously not. But um... I don't think we realize it. And I've only studied in the workplace because that's where I get access to people. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, if we are on our best behavior at work often, right, because we're being measured and all of that good stuff, I can only imagine at home when we let our guard down how much time we spend in drama and the hours at home. Yeah, I guess um, you've probably got a fair few solutions to how to get away from that drama then, um, being that you've written a book about it. And perhaps, I'm not sure I haven't read your book myself, apologies for that, but perhaps it's it's more related to the workplace, but perhaps there's some, um, there's some crossovers between the workplace and our life as well um, about how we can use the te- techniques and tips of this book to reduce the drama in our overall lives and, and become more purposeful in that process and perhaps more yeah, happy very- as well. Yeah. Exactly. Very much the case that, in fact, most of the emails I get from very happy raving fans is that, yep, this works at work, but it really helps me at home and in my relationships with people I love and my kids I love and my pets I love. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't realize that I teach um, in all of my books is that suffering is really completely optional. And most of us 
haven't really figured that out yet. We forget that on wow. a daily basis. Wow. That's a um, topic that I'm very passionate about, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, and that's just, I've lost my other question now, so let's talk about suffering for a second. Um, what, what is it about suffering that, that we don't understand? And I mean, ha, we sort of think it's just a, a given. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's quite deep, the, the topic of suffering. But yeah, what are your thoughts? It is. You know, I've talked a lot about the fact in my work that um, suffering is optional. And a lot of the, right. you know, great the great teachers talk about that as well. But when we're small, it's almost like we join the religion of suffering in that, um, you know, it's almost mandatory. It's like I pull up my calendar for the day and I see my first meeting and I think, oh, crap, must suffer. It doesn't even dawn on me that, you know, there's two ways to go through through the day with joy or misery, my choice. Mm. It's like we just default into suffering. And, we, and we've really gotten quite good at suffering. We've gotten to the point where, um, you know, not only do we feel like it's default, but we do some crazy things like we do, you know, um, pre-suffering. You know, let's say that we find out we're going to meet with our boss at two this afternoon. And if we were really efficient with suffering, we'd wait until 2.10, and then we would decide whether the topic merited any pain or not. But we start pre-suffering about 9 o'clock in the morning. We start, you know, thinking about a meeting with our boss. We ask our colleagues, do you have a meeting with our boss? And, you know, we spend a great deal of time pre-suffering. Huh. And, and even, Not even the, the 9 o'clock, probably the uh, the night before or even on a, on a Sunday, I think top, typically a lot of people pre-suffer, put themselves in that mindset of suffering for the week ahead. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the teachers I... I just adore Byron Katie says, you know, if you want stress, get a future. And, um, and that's always an interesting topic because, mm. you know, if you're in the present moment, you have everything you need. Reality isn't that harsh. Um, and our stress comes from the story we make up about reality, not our own reality. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to me. I watch people suffer a lot. I watch them post suffer, you know, I'll say, how's it going? And they'll say, well, financially this quarter, we're doing great. And I'll say, well, that's really a happy thing. And, and, uh, they'll say, well, lest we forget 2009, it's like they're, they're still suffering from what happened years ago. Um, you know, it's just, it's a comical thing. I watch people do mandatory group suffering. Let's say that you walk by Lee and, and you have a smile on your face and I've just read an email from corporate and, I call you in and just make sure that you're suffering with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. yep. You know, so we just, we do a lot of, uh, I think, default suffering that we don't really know about and we don't really understand where it comes from. And, you know, the book is really about how much drama is in the workplace and the sources of drama in the workplace have actually been able to quantify that the average person spends two and a half hours a day in drama in the workplace in unproductive thought patterns and, and behavior that actually decreases our own happiness and definitely decreases our results. And then we've drilled down to see what causes a lot of the, uh, the drama. And about a third of all of our drama is caused by ego behaviors. And, and the rest is things like lack of accountability and withholding buy-in and seeing ourselves as separate. Many of the things that uh, those of us that are are studying some universal principles in life we'll, we'll see as, as, you know, pretty common and familiar topics. But we've been able to actually quantify it now in a scientific approach. So it's fascinating to yeah. see how our ego creates suffering at work. I want to, um, yeah, find out a bit more about that ego piece too. But let's just go back to suffering for a second. What I mean, because it, it's one of those things that I think there, there's, 
I get a feeling that there's always an underlying sense of suffering, uh, no matter what moment we might be living in in our life. But often we push ourselves and create the conditions of our suffering, um, which is probably what you're sort of talking about there. But the word suffering itself can can have a, a multitude of different meanings and interpretations. What would your definition be of suffering? How would you best describe it? For me, I keep it pretty simple. It's when I am out of the sense of, um, you know, bliss or joy or contentment. So anytime I've moved away from contentment, which I believe is really our natural state, that all is well, life is good, we're exactly where we need to be, we have everything we need, that whole place of feeling very content, anytime we're away from that, it's usually, I call it suffering, and it's usually because we're believing our own thinking or not realizing our choices in the matter. Okay, and that can be, you know, on a a scale of different levels, I guess, that, that discontent. Discontent. What's your def- like? How would you define it? Well, I don't know. I I I don't know if I agree that um, life is meant to be lived with contentment um, fully. I think that you know, there's things that are outside of our control uh, entirely. Uh, I think perhaps we are entirely out of our control, and that suffering is is just a part of nature and life. You know, people will die, and that will cause moments of suffering. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess suffering is is that pain or agitation that you feel when things aren't quite comfortable. Sure, absolutely. And I think at work, a lot of our you know pain is not death, but it, it's when we're um, things are happening that our ego prefers to be different, mm. and it's outside of our preference, and you know it kind of disrupts or ignites or bruises that ego. So it's more about really the suffering. I mean, again, going back to you know creating the suffering for yourself, creating that own uh, mindset of of your own suffering, and putting yourself into that position, um, rather than understanding that perhaps you have some sort of level of control over over that suffering. Absolutely, or impact, or even a lot of the impact is realizing that much of what. I'm upset about, um, didn't even happen. You know, that a lot of suffering is Mm. self-imposed or self-created, you know? So example, if my boss calls, my reality is just that my phone rang and I picked up the phone and perhaps he or she says, you know, how are you coming with project X? And truth, I'm like, you know, let me check. I'm behind on project X. And he might say, or she might say, gosh, I've noticed you're behind on a lot of things. And I check to see if that's true. I'm like, that's true. I've noticed that about myself. I'm behind on a lot of things. And in that place, there's really nothing to suffer about. I think if you ask any of us if we're behind on a lot of things, we'd probably say, yep, we are. There's not a lot of shame in that. And my boss might give me some feedback and say, you know, I, I hope that you make this a priority and can, you know, catch up on this area. Mm. And we agree to that. And there's no suffering. Until I create the story that my boss is a micromanager who treats me like a child, who is disrespectful, and he's checking up on my projects because he wants to fire me. And if he fires me, my child won't make it through medical school, and he was going to help kids in Uganda, and now kids in Uganda are going to die. And so now I'm really suffering because I'm imagining my own firing, and I'm imagining you know kids in Uganda not getting help, and... All that really happened was just that my boss called and checked on a project and gave me some feedback. Yeah, so your I mind add- goes off and creating all these future possible events and stories um, that are exactly. no more real than you know a story that you read at night before you bed. 
Exactly. And that's where my suffering comes from, not from my reality in that moment, but the story I made up about reality. Mm. And I think that's where people don't realize they have a lot of choice. Most of us, um, you know, just automatically, if we think it, we believe it. We think that our thoughts are a source of truth. And it is such great freedom to people when I start talking to them about you don't have to believe everything you think. Once you believe with it, you agree with it, you co-create it, mm. that that's just that your ego narrating the world. And you've got some a lot of space into, you know, questioning what you think yeah. and and making sure that's a good source of information mm. and getting mentally flexible and questioning it. And that at work is is a source of freedom for people because most people believe what they think and they find a lot of people to collude with them to reinforce that version of the story, which paints me as a victim and everybody else as the villain. Hmm. Yeah. I used to um, find myself in, in, in those stories often, you know, when I get an email from the boss or, or a call or a missed call or something like that. And um, I, I guess it's to do with the past, some some sort of past experience that I've had, and the condition of who I who I am at the moment. And I used to just start creating these stories about what that email was about, and I just cause all this unnecessary stress and anxiety, and and I guess suffering. Um, and it was usually not the case at all. Um, so you know, and I started to realize that I started to realize I used to conjure up these stories and creations that just caused me more stress than it was worth. And, um, once I started to really understand that I could, I could better let it go. Um, but I'm interested to understand how, how this all connects with the ego and, and the, the crossover there. You, you said the ego in the workplace is responsible for what, a third of, of that suffering or, or drama? Yeah, a third of, of the drama of, the, of the drama. you know the energy. Yeah, the energy being siphoned away from results and happiness. And when we um, categorized um, ego, we looked at ego behaviors such as like venting, tattling, scorekeeping, judging, gossiping. Um, these types of behaviors where the you're you're spewing and you're working out of that prefrontal cortex, that ego part of your brain. And we all know, hopefully, that ego isn't necessarily all negative. It's what helps us differentiate. And and I'm not talking about the the great confidence people have in their abilities, but there's ego behavior that really is focused on judgment and kind of railing against reality, and you know, just a lot of judging and tattling and um, gossiping, scorekeeping, just. All of that place where it's scanning the environment and seeing insults where there isn't any. And it, there's just a, an edge there about um, I'm one down and other people are one up. Mm. Um, it's it's a, a narration on the world, like an interpretation. And when we ask leaders and when we ask employees and HR folks, um, you know, what types of behaviors or thinking takes energy away from, you know, results or happiness, they were very quick to list these types of behaviors as the kind of number one colossal waste of time. And they really attributed when we looked at time studies and we found out that there's two and a half hours a day of this emotional waste in the workplace, which is what we call drama, mm. that it had to do with these ego behaviors. And, and that was actually exciting to us because I started out life as a therapist. And so I can help people get rid of emotional waste. Um, like any good waste, we get rid of it by using better processes. And if it's emotional waste, we just use better mental processes. And there really are ways of thinking that lead to more happiness and results. There's like good mental hygiene 
And if we just teach people these things, and, and that's really what we teach leaders, leaders' role isn't to inspire or motivate others. It's impossible, really, to motivate another. But um, hmm. their role is to help people use better mental processes so they have more success and happiness at work. Well, that's really cool. I like that. Um, so leaders can't inspire or motivate others, but rather help them use better mental processes. Exactly. We're, um, I think, in a role of, you know, teachers, facilitators, um, you know, people who can call others to greatness. And, and so, for instance, if we take like the typical ego behavior is venting, right? And many people up to now have taught um, leaders that, you know, let your people vent. And as a therapist, we're actually taught not to let people vent because venting is very different than sharing your feelings. Hmm. So, I might share a feeling it takes about one sentence where I go, I'm frustrated that Lee called me five minutes late, right? That didn't happen to the audience, but I'm just using that as an example, <laughs> right? And so that's it. I'm frustrated. We're on the phone now. No big deal. Yeah. But my venting is that means that he does this on purpose and he doesn't respect my time. And, you know, how is that to run a business? Okay. And so... Feelings are different than venting. Venting really is the story I made up. Now, leaders have taught people that, you know, you need to get it off your chest, that venting is good for you. And when we look at the brain chemistry or the brain science of venting, mm -hmm. that negative storytelling actually creates neural pathways that then need to be fed with more venting. Uh -huh. So you need to then feed negativity with more negativity. Mm. And people tell me, they're like, but venting feels good. And I get that. Crack cocaine feels good, right? But it's not really a sustainable lifestyle. Mm. Um, and so when the ego is venting, what's precarious about the human being is that you can't vent and self-reflect at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. They actually use different parts of your brain. And so the ego uses venting as a way of avoiding self-reflection. And self-reflection is the part, the foundation of accountability. And accountability is really death to the ego. And so when we're letting people vent, we're colluding with them and helping, we're sympathizing, we're leaving people feeling like they're at the mercy of their circumstances. Instead of bypassing the ego, getting people self-reflecting and calling them to greatness, an example I would use is if somebody's in my office venting about how horrible IT is and how horrible the new product is and that no one cares and no one's committed to quality and they want me to intervene, Instead of me going off to try and bend reality, what I do is I bypass the ego by a question for self-reflection. I might say, um, if you were great right now, what would great look like, right? And people can't bend and entertain that question. They might say, well, I wouldn't be in your office complaining to you. I would reach out and see if I can collaborate with IT to help. Or I might say... You know, I love that you're in my office sharing love and concern about our partners in IT. I'm just wondering, what can you do to help? And that gets you out of venting and into the better part of your brain. That really is a collaborative part. Our natural state is pretty collaborative and innovative yeah. once the drama's gone. Right. And so as leaders, we teach um, a lot of techniques to move people out of ego without igniting the ego and into self-reflection and self-referral. And it's in self-referral that 
they already are innovative and collaborative. Like everyone knows what great looks like because it's what we judge other people on. I'm just asking you to rise up to that yourself. And so once people start doing this, if your leader does that to you, then you can do that to yourself and you can really do, um, you know, self-soothe. If you're in a troubling situation, you can quickly move from ego to self-reflection, which gets your thinking in part of your brain, a more complex kind of the mammal part of your brain. Mm. And so it's a higher level of consciousness almost immediately. And so it's a way to help people go from lower frequency to kind of higher frequency mm. in what we would consider a modern leadership approach. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there's so much in what you just said for about uh, a few Sorry, minutes. I kind of did a brain dump. No, it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> like, um, yeah, perfect sense and, and so much gold in what you just said. I loved it. Um, and I'm going to have to go back over this. I think the audience might too, to just listen to it again and absorb it again because um, you just connected everything so beautifully there. But um, yeah, there's a lot in there to sort of break down further. Uh, I, I suppose with the ego, is is what you're saying, the ego is more attached to that story, that narration that is um, less effective in you know being more productive and happy? It, it really is. It's not only attached to it, it it, it creates it. it. It it's its own baby. It's is that what the ego is? The ego's really? kind of our filter. I think. I think when I explain it, and again, there'll be some brilliant, um, you know, psych people out there that can explain it better. But to me, when people ask what the ego is, I go, it's a distorted filter on reality. It's like wearing a bad pair of prescription glasses, hmm. and it really. Really um, corrupts your data that you could get from reality. It's always adding the narration on, and and so it's the ego not something... is going about trying to satisfy itself through that story and narration, that creation of those stories and narrations that that it goes to. Is that is that what it sort of comes down to? Like, what is? How do we separate the ego from from the self? Well, I think your your first key um, point is the ego is trying to satisfy itself. The ego basically eats anger for lunch, and it has to stay like mildly angry to stay alive. And so it's like always scanning the environment for like anger um, or things to be disgruntled about. So I worked with a woman, and she said. Um, this culture is really toxic. And I said, oh, my gosh, my experience is really different. Um, but help me understand your lens of it. And she said, well, I'll show you proof. Come to my desk. So I went to her desk, and she pulled up an email, and it said, you're invited to an ice cream social at 2 o'clock today. Hmm. That's all it said. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love ice cream. 2 o'clock? How cool is this company? It gives us free ice cream. She's like, well, you don't know the backstory." They scheduled this thing at two o'clock because it's when my team can't attend. And do you see how her ego was searching for free ice cream and negativity in that? And it was like this, this disgruntled month at even free ice cream. Mm. And so the ego, something something quite positive was just, you know, searched for to find something that it needed to satisfy its identity. That makes sense. Exactly. It needs to identify with. And so um, how do you move beyond that? I think the first thing that um, listeners can do is just become aware of this constant narration going on in their head and that they are not that voice in their head. So like when you wake up in the morning, you don't decide to start thinking. If you notice, you're already being thought. Hmm. thought. It's just like a reel that's running in your head. And when you realize that the, the you, the, the high self is the observer of that voice 
not that voice is a great moment of breakthrough when you can sit back and go, wait a minute, I'm, this voice is a tape running, but I have choice here on whether I believe what I think. Because when I sit and look at what I think, I'm in a hotel room and I'm looking at the wallpaper. And if I were in reality, I'd just go, oh, there's wallpaper. It's kind of a black and white pattern. But my ego is like, it's ugly. Who would pick that? And I wonder how much they paid for that. It's a horrible design. Who would even spend time designing this this <laughs> this wallpaper? I can't believe that I'm paying good money for a room. My ego just goes all over the place with it. And pretty soon, I can be disgruntled sitting in a beautiful hotel room in San Francisco. It's it's a just a gorgeous place to be, but um, I'm focused on the poor choice of wallpaper. Mm. And the ego keeps our focus very narrow on wallpaper, and I missed maybe two beautiful birds flying by and the ocean view. Yeah, because yeah. it. It's, it's focused on the disgruntlement. So, so I think how people can get beyond it is uh, lots of self-reflection, but first being aware that the ego um, is narrating your life. And, it's, um, not, it's not and you. I, hmm. It's not you. And that's so joyful because I get to unhook from my own ego about a thousand times a day. And it's joyful. I'm like, oh, that, I don't have to believe that. Like that doesn't have to be my world. It just ends up being such freedom. I really like that. So some reflective practices is is quite a good way to do that. I found myself, and I still find myself doing it. I think you know it must be something we all do, uh, and some perhaps to a, to a higher extent than others. But I, I find myself sometimes I get into this this narration, this story, and I'm just searching for that the negative situation in that in that moment or in that day. And I go into these stories, and then I snap out of it and go, "Hang on a second, I'm just creating all this up." And I know if I if yeah. I continue on this way. It's going to affect the quality of my day. It's not going to matter to anyone else. It's going to just matter to me. Um, yeah. do, do I really want that? That's when I can start going. It's not me. Like just let it go. You know, give up. Give up on this. And um, once I do that, I, I really, you know, it just changes the the perspective of the day. And um, then I start enjoying things again. Um, so it's that is so true. Mm. I think that happiness is always right there. It's just whether we're reaching out and picking that up versus picking something else up. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times if I try and take on my own thinking and I'm like, stop thinking that it gets bigger. Mm. And so it's a bit counterintuitive where I don't have to try and stop thinking. I just meet it with inquiry or personal curiosity right. or self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, you know, is it true? Can I possibly know that to be true? And who am I when I believe that story? And who and I, who would I be right now without that, that story? And, mm. you know, what would I rather be living in right now? And just understanding the power of that. We just don't have to believe our own thinking. We, when people ask me my best advice, I'm like, stop believing everything you think you'll almost get instantly happy. Yeah. Once you notice the thoughts just keep coming up and going, like they just keep passing, nothing's permanent. You sort of, you get to realizing that. And when you have those negative stories and that narration, that's just not conducive to a high quality of life or happiness. Um, you know, because mostly what happens, I think, is that we we go out there and search for for you know stories that help or, or evidence that helps satisfy that story, or we search for pleasures to remove us away from that story, and and those both of those behaviours are not conducive to a happier result. But if we just sit back, like you said, and sort of allow ourselves to reflect and try and better understand what this narration is really talking about, removing ourselves from it at the same time. Um, we will yeah. notice that it'll pass too, and and that is that gives way to that that happiness again that you talked about that underlying happiness, perhaps. Absolutely, because you know again, 
And I believe that happiness is a pretty natural state for most of us once the the drama's gone, once the um, you know, once we haven't bought into or agreed with the ego version. Hmm. Is it, do you find a difference? Like, um, again, I don't know how to ask this question effectively, but, uh, but I mean, some people obviously are more attached to egos than others. Um, and I assume that can only be based on our backgrounds, our upbringing, our conditioned self to this point. Do you have any, any thoughts to reflect on there as far as why that difference is created or, or why some people have a greater ego than others? You know, I, I can't pretend to know for sure, hmm. um, but, but here's what feels right to me is um, you know, certainly it does have to do with our backgrounds, but not perhaps how we're injured, but in um, the experiences we've had that either feed our ego or help us burn our ego off. And a lot of this has to do with when you're in tough moments, do you have people that collude with you and sympathize with you and agree with you that the problem is your circumstances and that the reason you can't succeed or be happy is your you know, circumstances? And, and what I tell people is your circumstances aren't the reasons you can't succeed or be happy. They're the reality in which you need to learn to do those things. Some of us have had really wonderful moments where we've had people in our lives that instead of colluding and sympathizing with us, empathized, they were kind, they saw us in pain, but they were willing to um, help us self-reflect and wonder about if there's a different way. And so I feel like in my lifetime, I've been blessed with both some hardship and some great teachers who didn't let me off the hook and, and able to blame my circumstances, but really helped me reflect whether my way was working, um, you know, whether I know for sure. And, and those lessons can come from anywhere, from mm. quantum physics, from religion and spirituality, from, you know, um, I love when I am in a cab, I always ask my cab drivers, like their best life lesson, their best, you know, their secret to success. And, oh. and it, it blows me away. So you're but, open, open to that, that learning opportunity from, from anyone you meet. Yeah, because we're all, you know, there's all these geniuses out there mm. um, for sure. One of the things that um, blew me away when I was talking to a gentleman who does a lot of um, quantum physics yeah. is when he explained to me like the observer effect, that if you're an observer of an experiment, just your observation impacts the outcome of the experiment. And so if people go on YouTube and they look up the observer effect, they will find a video that shows um, people or these the scientists projecting light and the light hits a screen and they put a um, template up of two holes cut in this uh, this template of rectangles. So basically they shine the light at the template and what hits the back screen are very organized rectangles of light. Hmm. And that's what happens when you observe it. And then when the observers are gone and they just record it, the light acts very differently. So just the observation affects the outcome. And I thought, this is profound because when people think they have no impact on what's happening in their lives, if just your observation changes the behavior of light, just think of the impact we can have to co-create. And so the way I explain this to people mm -hmm. is, let's say somebody walks by you and doesn't say hello. 
Now, quantum physics would tell you they maybe even didn't walk by you, but we'll just stay in this realm. <laughs> so if somebody walks by me and doesn't say hello, I have to ask myself, what do I know for sure? Which is that somebody walked by me and potentially didn't say hello. I don't know anything else. There's nothing to be upset about. Our Buddhist friends would just say, you know, conserve your energy, go on to add value, make nothing of it. Yeah. But most of us, when we're locked into our ego, we believe, we make up a story and it's usually negative. If you walk by me and don't say hello, it's because ever since you got that promotion, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. Yeah. Mm. And then when I see you as rude, I treat you as rude. And then how do you respond? You respond rudely. And I go, see, I'm right about stuff I make up. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't realize that power. So if you walk by me and don't say hello, and I can't just give you the benefit of the doubt, which is what professionals should be doing, is just give people benefit of the doubt because we're always co-creating. Yeah. If I can't do that, then I need to, if I have to make something up, to do a both a favor, I'm going to make up something positive. He didn't see me because he's deep in prayer and meditation for peace in the world. Even if I'm making it up, it's better because I'm going to treat you well, you're going to treat me well, and then I'm going to be like, see, I was right about the <laughs> stuff I made up. Right? So if, if you're going to affect something and um, you know, impact way. the outcome, yeah, do it in a positive way. And most people you know, don't realize that, that they have this power of co-creation just in these little instances. Just before we wrap things up here and go into these other questions, I just want to know, how do you break through to someone that is just so in their ego and, and can't, you know, break free from understanding, uh, like, you know, what you and I are talking about here today? Because I find that there's so many people you could, you know, argue black and blue with them about certain things and, and try and put their perspectives into a better frame of mind or format, um, but they just struggle to get out of it and escape it. What What is the technique of breaking through that? Um, the first technique is to let go of any expectations or the outcome because um, we can't know another's path and maybe that ego right now is protective of them and it's, it's what they need in the moment. Um, but a way to do it is not trying to convince somebody because the more you try and logic or talk somebody into it, the more you're igniting and engaging the ego mm -hmm. and the ego plays defense. But we teach ego bypasses and a great way to do that is just to ask um, non-judgmental, gentle questions, um, you know, like what do you know for sure or what could you do to help or yeah. um, do you think? You know, is there any part that you have in this? And what you're doing is just you're whittling away at the ego's firm grasp on reality. People may not go into, you know, immediate kind of enlightenment on that issue. Yeah. But all we're doing is we're eroding the ego's grasp on the reality. And then the best thing I think we can do is all that advice we have for another, we can just use it on ourselves um, because we all have this human condition. And, um, you know, I can role model what it's like to live in a kind of world beyond ego, and that's pretty attractive. And so people get curious when I'm not trying to promote it. It's more attraction, that promotion. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that really works for me, where if I try and convince somebody, <coughs> excuse me, they aren't going to get convinced. They're definitely out to play. But if I just accept them where they're at and then role model um, that there's some different paths that, that – yeah they can also be exposed to it's helpful yeah cool so sort of like that leadership by example exactly 
I like that. Really cool stuff, man. You've given a lot of gold today. Thank you, Zai. You're welcome. I'm so glad to be on. I um I need to read your book, clearly, because <laughs> it's fascinating stuff. I really I would, enjoy it. I would love that. I would love that. I will uh, figure out how to send you a copy. Yeah, and, I, uh, I might have everyone already, but I'll look and um, we can we can talk about that. That's offline, perfect. Because I normally request them from the publishers. Um, so let me go into these questions. I'm just going to pull them up here so I have them. Uh, so the first question I want to ask you is what sort of routines or rituals do you have that you believe contribute to your success? Oh, routine rituals. Um, I uh, practice transcendental meditation twice a day, 20 minutes, um, no matter what. And it's really been life-changing. TM twice a day. Cool. I've had a couple of TM experts on the show. Uh, have you? Yeah, yeah, a couple uh, from the States there. So they've been been great guests. Yeah, really good contributors and certainly something that I don't do, TM meditation. Mm-hmm. I do is a form of mindfulness meditation, but um, I've had a lot of good results come from it. Absolutely. I think any meditation is awesome. What, would, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? You know, we've already talked about it, but I wish I could have told myself at 20 to stop believing everything I, I think. I was such a firm believer in everything my ego dished out, and I suffered a lot. Hmm. Myself included. What is the meaning of success? What is your meaning of success? Anytime I can help um, offer freedom to someone um, and, and help them realize suffering is optional, um, man, that's a successful moment. I like that. Okay. And what is your number one piece of productivity advice? It's all about ditching the drama. I can save two and a half hours a day of time I normally spent into venting and resisting change. And I can just recapture that and upcycle it into um, getting a whole lot done and being a lot happier. Mm. What, do, what do you do to ditch the drama? Do you just sort of reflect? Yeah, I reflect. I edit my story a lot. I'll actually take out a piece of paper, write down my entire story unedited that I'm believing, and I'll go through and I'll cross out anything that is assignment of motive or judgment. And I'll look at the facts that I'm left with. It's an amazing exercise. I talk about um, a lot of things in the book on um, different tools for self-reflection and how to do that. Wow. Do you do that? Is that something you do daily, like write down these stories and, and edit them? You know, I often, uh, I do it often. I don't know if it's daily, but Mm. anytime I'm stressed and I can't mentally let go of it, like you talked about, you know, if I can just realize and let go of it, I do. But something that's hanging around for me, um, usually, you know, I make up a story that my husband's unsupportive and and he did this on purpose. And, you know, usually it's about my family members. I can't let go of it. So I have to see it on paper because when it's in your head, your ego can play with it. But when you get it down on paper, it looks pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got two thoughts on what you just said there. And one is that, you know, when I find those negative stories, I just can't escape. I just go and change my environment. And that seems to, you know, it just, it just moves on and passes. But some some of them come back, you know, and um, it's about dealing with them by what you said, you know, those practices where you can really write them down, journal them, reflect on them um, to help move beyond them rather than just sort of escaping them, I guess. Exactly, exactly. That's pretty cool advice. Uh, I had another question there. It might come back to me. What advice would you give someone looking to make some change in their life? You know, I have been most successful in change when I try and address something head on. This sounds crazy, but let's say that I want to drink less alcohol. If I give up drinking, my ego will bug me incessantly about how much 
gosh, I would like a glass of wine. So what I do instead is I start something, a better habit like meditation, and then the drinking quits me. And so I just make less room in my life for what I want less of, because where you place your attention is what determines the quality of your life. So I don't try and quit anything or change anything. I try and focus on um, establishing a discipline, which makes less room for behavior that no longer serves me. And then the behavior leaves me. Oh, really cool. Really well put. And that was the question I was going to ask you. I'm, I'm assuming you address this in a book, but the relation of, of health, uh, both physical and mental health, um, and how we, you know, how we treat our bodies, I guess, um, in relation to the ability for our ego to thrive. You know, I didn't address some of that in the book, but that's a great topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, it's like, I think that we could make um, less room for our egos to survive. And so the ego, you know, kind of gives up its its hold on us. But if we live lives that make a lot of room for ego to thrive yeah. and we're surrounding ourselves by people that feed the ego, I, that is definitely a cool thing to think about and write about. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, just in the experiences that my ego seems to be wreak more havoc when I'm um, not nourished correctly. Um, you know, if I've had a, a weekend where I've been drinking with the boys or something, if I've, you know, I've got a lack of sleep, um, certainly those environments, the negative environments, you know, watching news, things like that, um, certainly seem more conducive to allowing the ego to breathe. Um, that's than, so, than that's so perfect. When I was a therapist, we taught HALT, H-A-L-T. Mm. And whenever you're suffering, you just say the word HALT and you ask yourself, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? H-A-L-T. Hmm. Isn't that and like that a, leads something to that they use in, um, in the um, 12-step program? Yeah, we use it in therapy a lot, and I know it's used a lot in, in 12-step. It's like, yeah. you know, so, I mean, basically, you know, any addiction really is the work of the ego, right? It's numbing or feeding or, or um, you know, there's a lot of ego involved in that. And so it's interesting what you're talking about because it does make more room for the ego. And if I'm really living in healthy ways, the ego just doesn't have a place to rest in 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 my life or in my brain. Mm. Yeah, cool. It doesn't get very comfortable. I love that. Maybe next book. <laughs> yeah, we'll collaborate on it. Hey, what's your favorite food? A mango sticky rice. Mango sticky rice. Well, that's a unique one. And favorite leisure activity? I know. I love it. Being at the lake with my boys, paddleboarding, water skiing, any of anything lake activities. And do you have a favorite book you'd like to recommend? You know, I love Traveling Mercies by Anne Lamott and uh, anything by Anne Lamott. She's a fabulous writer. Yeah. Have you watched her TED Talk? I did. I loved it. That was good. I, <laughs> she's good. I've uh, read she's one hilarious. of her books. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, cool. I'll stick that in the show notes and I'll stick um, yours in the show notes as well, guys. So if you want to check out either of those books, including No Ego by Sire Wakeman, then check it out at thehiddenwire.com. You can pick up the copies through the Amazon links provided within. Do you have a favorite quote, Sire? I do. My favorite quote I actually have in the front of my new book um, by Rumi, um, Out Beyond the um, Right Doing and Wrong Doing, There is a Field. I will meet you there. Out beyond beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Cool. I like it. Do you believe we will have a why? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe it's more obvious than we 
we think once we search, it's when we're lost. It's right there in front of us. Mm. And what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? For me, it's um, living in the present moment and uh, having great expectancy, but not great expectations. So not expecting anything, but um, living in wonder and great expectancy. So I think that um, we get so many opportunities to apply our passion and our purpose every day. If we're just in the present moment, we're kind of in the zone. Brilliant. I, uh, I love your choice of words. <laughs> You're really good. Well, of explaining things. <laughs> thank you. So, so, so I thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, again, guys, um, connect with Cy. I'll stick your website in there. Is that realitybasedleadership.com? Is that the best way to connect with you, Cy? Absolutely. And um, I also have a podcast called No Ego. And you can find me and follow me on social media. We do a ton of great video content on YouTube or Instagram, LinkedIn. Everything is at Cy Wakeman. So, Wakeman. Cool. I'll um, stick both of those links in the show notes, guys. Check it out. So, thank you again for coming on the show. And, guys, you uh, make sure you check it all out at thehiddenwire.com. Thank you. Thanks, Si. See you, guys. You Peace, bet. passion, and purpose. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden white this is the hidden white my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon